Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Tower cleared. Welcome to Space 3D and Part 3 of our interview with Jake Allentine. In this episode, we go on the journey of discovery and serendipity, which led Jay to his first book, Ambassadors to Earth, a journey by way of D.B. Cooper, the planet Venus, a brief interlude with a sports car, Craig Breedlove, and ultimately, James Van Allen. I think of like University of Nebraska Press and then Purdue seem to be university presses that come out with a number of these space publications, maybe University of North Dakota as well, I'm thinking. But I'm just curious, how did you get Mm -hmm. involved with, I'm just curious about the whole process of how did you decide to, you know, write a book? Do you have a background in history? Like, how did all this come about? And then how did you end up identifying University of Nebraska? Or did they find you? Oh, funny. My stories are way too long-winded, as my family loves to remind me at a regular basis. So uh, please feel free to cut me short if this gets to be too long. But I have an answer for that. I was always a space geek, which I think I successfully concealed from all of my high school girlfriends. And I was always a closet writer. And at the time that I learned about this University of Nebraska Press series, I was actually researching a completely different book about a man who I think was D.B. Cooper. And I had done some interviews on that, and I was doing freedom of information requests, and and writing a space book really wasn't on my radar, frankly. But then I happened to be looking at this space website one day, uh, Robert Perlman's collectspace.com, still around today, kind of the space news website, And there was an article on there that this publisher, the University of Nebraska Press, was going to be doing an eight-volume series on the history of space exploration. And they had writers for four of the books, but they were in need of writers for four of the other books. And if you were interested to contact this guy in Australia. And I was intrigued because this seemed like it might be a decent marriage of two of my interests still being a space geek and still being a closet writer. Uh, I grew up in Nebraska just by sheer coincidence. So I guess I was intrigued on that level too. Uh, Found out later that the man who at the time was the executive director of the Nebraska press, he was just really into space and thought that putting together this series would, would be a, a wonderful contribution to space. And so I got in touch with the editor, a man named Colin Burgess, Uh, who is still the editor for the series today. And it was kind of funny because Colin spent the first couple of email exchanges, I think, trying to convince me that this wasn't a scam, that I wasn't going to have to, like, give him my Social Security number at some point and money was going to disappear from my bank account or whatever. He was like, you know, this is legitimate. This is going to be a real series. And he sent me the proposal. And all of the good ones were taken, in my opinion, the the one that I had really wanted to do was on the Apollo moon landings. And at the time, that's really where my heart was, was those Apollo boys in their white suits (laughs) hopping around on the lunar surface. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And dang, it was taken. 
So then uh, there were a couple other open, uh, two of the ones that were open were about the shuttle. And I suppose I grew up with the shuttle, but at the time, I guess the shuttle really didn't do that much for me. And I didn't know what I would really be able to write about the shuttle uh, with all respect to the shuttle. And so I said, well, I'm not interested in those. And then there was one on the Russians, which today seems laughable that there would be a book on just what the Russians did, because it turns out they've done so much. And I said, eh, I'm not interested in what the Russians did at all. So I passed on that, which is laughable because my second book was probably two thirds mm -hmm. Soviet and Russian, as it turns out. And then the last one was on satellites and space probes. And I'm like, eh, I'm not even really sure what they mean. So I went to my local library and I got, I think, six or eight books on exploring the planets. And in one of them, there was a picture from the surface of Venus. And, and I'm reading this and it's talking about how Venus is 900 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface. That's about 500 C. And it's 92 Earth atmospheres. And I'm looking at this and, and they have a picture. And I'm like, well, wait a second. How did they get the picture? This whole section of this book was telling me what it was like on Venus and that there were volcanoes there and how much I would weigh if I was standing on Venus and what the rocks are like. And I'm like, well, but how'd they get the picture? You know, how'd you get this camera on the surface? You know, you book, you just told me that the clouds are made out of sulfuric acid and lightning and that the temperature is so high and the pressure is so high, but you're not even going to tell me how they made the camera work. And so I really saw an opportunity there to, to focus on the people and explore how they did what they did. I, I was reading another book that was like, oh, and on this day, the Soviet Union launched the spacecraft that went to this planet. And on this day, the United States launched a spacecraft that went to this planet. And I'm sitting there going, wait a second, why did they launch that? And why did they launch then? What was the plan? Who was calling the shots here? There was no explanation of what the motivations were. And even that thing from the surface of Venus, it didn't even say what country had sent that thing. Why did they send it? Why did they make it then? How much did it cost? Who? What were the people like who made that? And and what failures did they have to go through until they got to the point where they were able to get that picture back? And I thought that was completely missing. And I'm like, what a shame. It's, doesn't anybody talk about this stuff? And, you know, of course they do, but, but not what was at the local library. And so I, I, I wrote a proposal that I spent the summer of 2004 on ended up being eh, 40 pages or something like that saying, you know, I think we really need to focus on the people who sent these missions off to the moon and to the planets. Yeah, I really want to understand how they got that picture from the surface of Venus, what those people were like, what, it, what they went through to make that camera that got the picture from the surface of Venus. What did it do to their marriages? What did it do to their waistlines? And I sent off the proposal and I was like, boy, that was two and a half months out of my life. I'm not going to get back because they are not going <laughs> to give me this book. You know, I'm, I'm a first time author. I'm just running my mouth. It's, I'm going on way too long. 
Um, it's it's too superficial. I could have done more digging. It could have been better. And I was really feeling sorry for myself. And so I bought a sports car. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to get any of this time back. My life is over. So so I was just like, I need to move on. I, I'm going to forget about being an author. I'm going to put away the D.B. Cooper book, too. This was ridiculous. I'm just going to I'm going to brush my cat and I'm going to drive my car and and I'm just going to move on with my miserable life, you know. And so I had a lot of fun with that car for like three weeks. And then I got this letter in the mail saying, hey, we really liked your proposal and we've picked you to write this book. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> well, well, this is terrible. <laughs> what am I going to do now? I am dead. I am a dead man. This is the worst thing that has ever happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so then I, I slept on it for the weekend. <laughs> oh, I just I just felt like I had made just a huge mistake, just a massive mistake. I'm like, I'm the dumbest man on the planet. Why in the world did I get the idea to to try and do this? Because this is this is just going to be a train wreck. And, uh, and I, I, I let a, a few days go by, and then um, I was uh, talking to a friend who lives in Iowa City at the University of Iowa, where James Van Allen lives and, and worked at that time in, in 04. And he was like, hey, well, you, you got to come down here and interview Van Allen. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I got to get on this. And so I just... And at that point, it was like automatic. And I just I just started scheduling things and like, you know, created a folder on my computer that was called Outward Odyssey book. And, you know, and I just just started ordering books. And, you know, pretty soon Amazon's making practically daily deliveries. And, you know, and it just wow. kind of went from there. Wow. I love really it. Really cool. <laughs> I hope no. that wasn't too long. No, it's pretty funny, yeah. actually, because... Yeah, I felt the same way when I've gotten jobs before because I'll like be like, man, I'm never going to get this job, you know, or I'm never going to get this article, you know, and then they're like, yeah, you got it. And I'm like, my life just ended just now. Cut. They're going to, you know, they're going right. to realize in about two minutes how stupid I am. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, like, no. Oh, no. Yep. It's like, Jesus Christ. You know, I I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send off the first couple chapters, and Colin's going to read it, and in a very nice Australian way, he's going to say, you know, thanks a lot. I think we're going to go in a different direction, and then I'm never going to yeah, hear from him again, right? Yeah, it's like, that's how yeah. I feel if I, I send stuff to, like, Rod Pyle or something like that. I'm like, oh, oh no. Right, right. Okay. What's, uh, what's funny is the, the thing that I think really got me that project was the fact that I just feel the need to write. Um, I, I occasionally will give talks at schools and whatnot, and and I'll, I'll tell the kids, it's like, you know, some of you may like the idea of writing, but, but for some of you, actually for all of you, you all know of something that you just have to do. Like my friend Becky, she just has to run. You know, she just has to go out and run. And, and all of you, have got to have something like that. Some of you, you just love to read. You just, 
you know, a day just isn't complete unless you've done some reading. And, and for me, I, my life is just not complete unless I'm writing. And it goes back to when I was a little kid where on Saturdays I would just like take out my little notebook and I would just make up dumb stories. And it was just this thing that I had to do. And I think today we'd probably call it Star Wars <laughs> fan fiction, but that's the kind of stuff, you know, that I was writing when I was a kid. And, and I think that was part of it. And so I was working on these little things that just, I just felt like I had to do. And when, when I submitted the proposal to Colin, he said, well, you know, this is good. It's a pretty solid proposal, actually. Um, I'd really like to see a writing sample. And I said, well, you know, gosh, I don't have anything except for dumb little stories. And he's like, well, there must be something. And years prior, I had written a story about Craig Breedlove. And if people don't know who Craig Breedlove is, he was a guy who, you know, once again, he's still around. Uh, he was a, a California guy who was obsessed with the land speed record. So these are people who basically build a car around a jet engine, and then they go out to the Bonneville Salt Flats, and they try to go the fastest on land. And I had read this account in the Guinness Book of World's Records years before about how some guy named Craig Breedlove had set the record for the longest skid marks. He had lost control of his car while trying to set the land speed record, and he had laid down skid marks that were six miles long. And I said, oh, my gosh, can you imagine stopping for six miles? And that little idea went into my idea folder until I started writing story about it. And I was just making it up as I went along. Uh, this was in the late 90s. And, and then I got to the point where I'm like, boy, wouldn't it be great to talk to Craig about this? And, you know, at that time, you know, there's really not so much of an Internet to speak of. And uh, at one point, I got my hands on a CD-ROM that had, like, phone numbers for people all over the country. And there were, like, 35 Craig Breedloves, and I just started calling them, you know, which just seems so archaic today. Uh, but I actually finally got through to the Craig Breedlove. And the first thing he told me was, well, I didn't really leave skid marks that were six miles long. And I'm like, oh, no, my whole story just went up in flames because that's what it was all based on. But he went on to tell me this much more interesting story. And so I combined it that with um, I, I was able to get in touch with some other people who were there that day when he tried to set that. He actually did lose control of his car, and he ended up crashing it. And then I found somebody who was like a historian about the Bonneville Salt Flats, and then I found some hot rod guys and everything, and it ended up as this 30-page short story, which was written for no purpose other than Jay wanting to write. And it went into my filing cabinet. And so the time came where Colin Burgess was like, hey, I really need to see a writing sample. I'm like, eh, well, I mean, I, I have this thing that I just kind of did a few years ago and, and uh, this Craig Breedlove thing. And, oh, Craig Breedlove. I know him. Yeah, send this to me. And, and so I'm like, eh, I don't know. I'm kind of embarrassed. He's like, dad, just send it. So I sent it to him and Colin said he got two pages in. And he called the executive director of the press and he said, I found the guy for the Space Pro book. Awesome. This was the guy. And I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> wow. So so I tell kids, you know, if if you if you have that urge to write and you don't know what that writing is for, you know, that's okay. It's it's for you. And at some point, preparation 
will meet opportunity. And it sounds like something on one of those bad motivational posters, but in my case, it, it turned out to be talk. accurate. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's fantastic. Okay. Okay. Now I wanted to talk, uh, we talked about some of the speed bumps you ran into uh, during uh, and after uh, Ambassadors from Earth. We Let's talk about yes. some of the, the fun stuff though. Um, a, as you mentioned before, uh, while writing that book, you extensively uh, were able to interview uh, Dr. James Van Allen, uh, who is the, um, for those who may not know who he was, uh, he was the uh, iconic scientist uh, involved with the uh, Explorer One, he's credited with uh, obviously uh, discovering how extensive the uh, Van Allen belts were, hence hence they were named after him. And um, he also worked on a lot of other uh, robotic space uh, projects in his lifetime. Now, what was he like as um, an interview subject and as a person? Uh, And uh, Eleanor, did you have anything you wanted to add to that question? No, this is just bringing back memories. For a while, I was uh, working in Chicago, and I used to cover Iowa for my job. And I was in Iowa City one time and had an opportunity on a whim to go to the library at the university. And they let me see a couple of boxes of his papers, which was really fascinating. And uh, it was neat to get sort of a snapshot very rapidly into sort of what kind of guy this this professor was, but um, I'm not going to steal your thunder, Jay. That was that was just a, a, a real nerd moment for me when I was out in Iowa City one time. Nice. No, that's great. Well, the the truth is that I was scared to death to call Van Allen, and I'm not sure why because I had gone to the University of Iowa. I graduated from the University of Iowa, and I used to attend classes in the Van Allen Building. I took astronomy in Van Allen Hall, and every week that semester, I had to go up to the seventh floor and walk past his office to get to my lab. And I I knew Iowa City. I knew it very well, lived there for four years, and I, I knew the building. I had this friend down there, a documentary filmmaker, who had said, hey, you can come stay with me, and it'll be awesome. And... I knew about Van Allen's papers in special collections at the University of Iowa Libraries, in part because I had actually worked at the University of Iowa Libraries while I was an undergrad. And I had uh, worked to uh, move around the special collections items. I had worked in the mailroom. I had done light maintenance in the library. I'll tell you a funny story about working in the in the special collections department. You know, I was I was just kind of a sort of a floater, you know, sort of wherever they needed me. And at one point, uh, sadly, part of the roof at the main library had given way, and there were a number of uh, documents and collections that needed to be moved so they were out of danger. And so I was uh, led by a security guard to a, a locked, gated enclosure, inside a, this massive storage room in, inside the main library. And, uh, and he unlocked the gate and he's like, okay, you know, the, the things that are in those boxes over there, they have to move over to this other side of the room uh, because the water is threatening to come in from the opposite side of the wall. And, and he said, you know, there's cameras in here. Um, you know, don't touch anything. Don't screw up. Be good. And he locked the gate behind me. 
And so I go over and I start moving these documents, you know, these supposedly like priceless, one-of-a-kind documents in the Special Collections Library. And I kid you not, it was one box after another with 70s British magazines of women being spanked. (laughs) And it was one after another with this, you know, weird role play of like, you know, the girl at the private school gets caught by the professor and he spanks her with the paddle. And I mean, one magazine after another, just boxes and boxes of these. I'm like... This is the special collection that is inside the the fence with the lock. So I was a little scared to call Van Allen. Um, And and Colin, he really talked me into it. He's like, Jay, you just got to you got to strap on a pair and call this guy. Uh, And so I called him. I knew where he lived. Uh, I used to run quite a bit in Iowa City and I ran past his house all the time without knowing it. And, and so I finally worked up the nerve to call him, and, uh, and his wife answered. And she said, well, you're going to have to call back. He's watching a very important <laughs> basketball game. Beautiful. So he's a human being. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, crap. You know, okay, I'd worked up the nerve. It's probably going to take me a week to work up the nerve again. But she said, call back in an hour. It'll be over. And I called back, and, and he was super nice. It was like, talk to your grandpa. And he's like, um, well, I'm interested in the project, but I, I just don't want to do an interview. So thanks anyway. I'm like, oh, so I sent him a letter and asked if I could call him back, sent him the proposal. And, and he finally got back to me, actually. He called me back. And he said, well, look, send me a list of your questions. And so I did. And then I didn't hear anything for like a month. And I called his office and he didn't have a secretary or anything. He he answered the phone, just hello, not even hello, James Van Allen. It was just hello. And I said, hi, Dr. Van Allen, it's Jay Galantine calling. And I sent you those questions and <laughs> wondering if you got around to them. And what do you think? And he said, well, I don't think those questions were good enough. He said it in a really, really nice way. And that's something that I, I brought up time and time again in, in the talks that I would give that, that included him is he had such a nice way of even saying no. I mean, it, it, there was just something that was like built into that guy that if he had told you to go to hell, he somehow would have made you feel good about getting there. It was just, it had to have opened doors for him. And it was something that I, I brought up actually in my eventual interviews with him. And he said, well, you know, the, the questions, the, the thing he said, the quote was, Mr. Gallantine, I expected a more mature line of questioning, which was his way of saying that the questions really weren't good enough. I said, Okay, so do I need to rework everything? And he said, well, I want you to read one of my books and then get back to me with reworked questions. I want you to read a book called Origins of Magnetospheric Physics. And I think I had to have him spell it. So I found the book, uh, read it, and uh, sent him the revised questions again. And he said, no. And I'm like, shoot. This is going downhill really fast, along with the whole first act of my book. 
Um, so then I wrote him an email saying, hey, I got a great idea. You know, um, let's not do this on the phone, which was something that we had discussed. I'm like, uh, I'm going to take my friend David's advice. I want to come down. I want to see you in person. Uh, you know, I can I can be down there in just a few hours. You know, we can meet at your convenience. We can meet right in your office. And it was at that point that he finally said yes. And I'm like, oh, geez, finally. Uh, I don't know if it's that, you know, he just didn't want to talk on the phone for several hours or what, or maybe he just thought that I wasn't going to go away. But it, it turned out to be a wonderful thing because I, I set up three days to visit with him, but he didn't want to talk all day every day. So the other parts of the day, I would do research uh, on his papers at the University of Iowa Main Libraries. And on my second day there, uh, the librarian came in and said, hey, Jay, there's a couple people here who want to see you. And who comes in but my old bosses from when I worked in the main library wow. all these years before. They were still there. Yes. And I recognized them and they recognized me. And it was just a wonderful little reunion. Um, but then every night I would stay with my friend David, who is a documentary filmmaker, and that turned out to be a wonderful little blessing. You know, you've asked about, you know, these good things that happened. And one of these serendipitous little wonderful things was staying with my documentary filmmaker friend David, because each day when I got back, we'd be sitting at his dinner table and he would debrief me. He'd like, well, what did you ask and what did he say? And David had this way of digging down beyond Van Allen's answers and kind of reading between the lines. And at one point, I think this was after the second day, uh, we were talking about when Van Allen first heard of Sputnik. And he was on a ship in the middle of the ocean when he got the news that Sputnik 1 was in orbit. And he actually cobbled together... Uh, some instruments right there on the ship and measured the Doppler shift and was able to confirm that this object was actually in orbit. And so David's asking me about this and we're eating lasagna or whatever. And, and David finally says, so what did he do after he heard that Sputnik was in orbit? I said, well, he actually went and saw a movie. He's like, he saw a movie. I'm like, yeah. And then afterwards he, he put the radio equipment together to measure the orbit. He's like, but he went and saw a movie first. I'm like, yeah. And David goes, he doesn't seem like the movie guy. And I'm like, you know what? He doesn't seem like a movie guy, does he? And so David, he kind of leaned back in his chair and he goes, you know what that is? That's disappointment. Right there. What that is, is disappointment. He went to a movie because he was too pissed to do anything else. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, it makes sense. I think you're right. And David said... Yeah, David, but I hadn't put my finger on it. And I don't know that I would have put my finger on it unless David had been there. And so I, I swore to David that on my final day with Van Allen, I was going to ask him about that. And that was probably the most digging that I did with Van Allen. But I finally got him to admit that he was upset that the Soviets had beat them to it. But it, it took a long time. So that was definitely one of those wonderful serendipitous little moments but but in terms of just sitting there with van allen you you kind of felt like you were in the presence of 
kind of that that swami on the mountaintop who who had seen it all had done it all had been asked every question and it was just like being in the presence of of someone who was on a higher plane uh it, it was it was wonderful I, I i didn't want to leave uh just just the most intelligent yet humble and and funny guy uh easily the most memorable interview that I've done so far. Awesome. Thanks for listening to another episode of Space 3D. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Jay as much as we've enjoyed interviewing him. Tune in for the conclusion of our interview with Jay in our next podcast. For Emily Carney and Tom Hill, this is Eleanor Rangers for Space 3D.